Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. I have to share with everybody what a fantastic experience that I've had recently with the Coeur d'Alene Resort located in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. What a great place this is. I want to recommend uh, to all of you that you either take your significant other there for a wonderful trip, uh, just like Cindy and I did, uh, or even better, take your team uh, Take them to the resort, do a conference there. It will be the great uh, experience for all involved. And make sure you play golf on their great golf course. You'll never have better service in all your life. I highly encourage it. The Coeur d'Alene Resort in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Oh! Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I've got a treat for you today. We're going to be talking with Dr. Annie McKee. Now Annie is a best-selling author, respected academic uh, speaker and advisor to top global leaders. She's the author, author of the latest book, How to Be Happy at Work, The Power of Purpose, Hope and Friendship. And we're gonna talk about that today. But just a little background uh, on Dr. McKee. She's a senior fellow at the University of Pennsylvania, where she teaches and leads the Penn CLO Executive Doctoral Program and the MedEd Master's Program. Uh, she's got multiple bestsellers, uh, and including Primal Leadership, which she authored, uh, co-authored with Daniel Goldman and Richard uh, Boatsis, uh, uh, Resonant, Resonant Leadership, uh, as well as Resonant Leader, uh, she's written Management, A Focus on Leaders. Uh, she's a prolific writer and blogger. And as you can tell, uh, she's one busy lady. Uh, Annie, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Thank you, Steve. It's a delight to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to, to talk about my favorite subject, which is uh, how to be happy, and uh, whether it's at work or otherwise. So I'm looking forward to that. But before we begin, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, believe it or not, I just got back from Africa a few weeks ago. We were in Zambia with our family, and we were visiting folks there, and we also went up to the safari, and I spent little bit of over a week um, with lions and leopards and elephants and sheer beauty. It was so much fun. I loved it. Oh my goodness. It, it sounds awesome. And uh, I, I've never had the privilege of doing that, uh, but I always loved watching the National Geographic shows where I could see it. Uh, I'm not too interested in being a snack for a lion, though, I have to tell you. 
Yeah, we were pretty close to them, Steve. We were 10 <laughs> feet away. And they'd, they'd look you right in the eye, and you're thinking, oh, boy, I, I hope you ate something yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't really want to take too much of a chance of being their snack, but uh, I admire you for going. I'm glad you had a great time. That's awesome. It was really fun, really fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's let's talk about your uh, new book, How to Be Happy at Work. Uh, I think it's an, an awesome topic and one that all of us can learn from because we, we really and truly should learn to enjoy everything that we do. So but, uh, to, to make sure we're on the same page, uh, why don't you share with our listeners, uh, what do you consider... Uh, to be happy, and why is this such a really important topic today? It's a great question, Steve. You know, life is just too short to be unhappy at work. Most of us spend eight hours a day. A lot of us spend more than eight hours a day at work our entire adult lives. So why would we say it's okay to be unhappy in, in the workplace? It's just not okay. Happiness is a human right, and, and guess what? And this is for all those folks out there who really are concerned about how well their organizations are doing. Happy people are better workers. Happy people are more successful, too. And there, there's really research behind those statements. That's not just my opinion. We've got studies that show that. So I think those are two good reasons to be happy at work. And, you know, you asked me what I mean by happiness, Steve. And, you know, uh, my, my definition of happiness is a deep and abiding sense of joy in what we're doing that's fueled by a sense of purpose. We really care about what we're doing, a sense of hope and optimism, and by having good friendships in the workplace. Mm. I think that's a, a fantastic definition. Uh, if I could only add one other thing to that, and that would be, uh, as long as I got a good martini in my hand, I mean, I'm even happier. It's amazing. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. <laughs> I do. I think uh, a lot of us, we spend so much time at work, maybe we ought to have a martini to chill out a little bit. Uh, but based on your research, and I, I love the fact that you talk, I mean, right off the bat, you're talking about happy people or more productive people. Uh, so uh, kind of share a little bit, if you will, uh, you know, why we are taught to be such grinders. I mean, most of us today in leadership, we're working, I mean, it, it's, it's a minimum of 10 hours a day. Some are working much more than that. I know myself early in my career before I understood, you know, what I needed to do. I mean, I was just such a workaholic. So what causes us to be so intensely uh, focused on doing stuff even when we're not having fun at it? Yeah, again, another good question. I, I think a lot of us are overworking, and, and that's that just what it sounds like. We're working too much. Um, mm -hmm. You can't be happy at work if that's all you do. Sooner or later, you're going to burn out. I don't care how strong you are. And I think we do this for a few reasons. Number one, we've bought into this old myth that work is supposed to be grueling, and we should just be grateful we have a job. When, in fact, work, work ought to be a, a source of fulfillment. It ought, it ought to feed us. It ought to feed our souls as well as our pocketbooks. And I really do believe that. You know, and the second thing is, um, in, in my work with leaders and with executives, I've found that oftentimes people push really, really hard for far too long out of some, yeah, kind of some personal demons, a little feeling of insecurity, uh, um, competition that's directed at coworkers, which is really not very healthy, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you know, that doesn't, 
that doesn't really help us. And the third reason, is, which is really tough, is that some of us work really hard because we love what we do. The problem mm. is that even if it's coming from a good place like that, unless we really do focus on the quality of our working lives and the quality of our home lives, we can find ourselves unhappy at work and at home. I, uh, wow, uh, that's very cool, and I, I, I love that conversation. Uh, I know in the book you talk about uh, things that we can do or uh, ways that we can be happier at work, but we all fall into traps. And uh, so what I'd like to spend a little bit of time, uh, if you don't mind, you talk about uh, happiness traps, and, and you really give great ideas on how we can kind of avoid them. What do you consider to be maybe uh, two or three of the worst happiness traps uh, that you've observed in your research and working with companies? Yeah, you know, when when we talk about happiness at work, or when I talk about happiness with work uh, at work with people, they often try to blame their unhappiness on other people. And you know what? At one point in my life, I had a really crummy manager, so I know that that really is mm -hmm. not a great place to be. Um, but even if we've got situations in our workplace that aren't great, what we really need to do is take personal responsibility for our own happiness and not get trapped. Let me tell you about a couple of them, Steve. Okay. One is what I call the should trap. Um, this is when we choose a job, choose a career, and do what we should do as opposed to what we want to do. You know, I was just recently uh, talking with a colleague of mine. She's a professor, and she was talking about undergrads who had interned at a particular company or a couple different companies, and then they'd been offered jobs. Sounds great, right? Well, they were telling her they were going to take those jobs even though they already knew they didn't like the work. I mean, that's crazy. And wow. frankly, and yeah, isn't that nuts? And it is. frankly, in, in, in my work, I meet these folks, you know, fast forward a couple decades, and they're still stuck. Um, I know we all need a job, you know, we, we've got to earn a salary and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes you're going to make, you know, you're going to make some compromises, right? You're, you're going to mm -hmm. choose to maybe take a job that's not perfect because you, you need to. Um, but if you know for sure that you're entering into a job or a career that's not for you, don't do it. Don't do it because your parents or your, or your par spouse or your partner expects you to. Do it because you want to. So the should trap is, is really big. An another one is the ambition trap. Ambition's great until it's not. Ambition gets us, you know, to reach for the stars and do our best, and that's wonderful. But I've met far too many people who get Duck, just going for goal after goal, bonus after bonus, promotion after promotion, and they get those things and they don't even enjoy it. So if for our listeners today you find yourself just constantly striving and not enjoying the ride, you, you know, you really might want to look at why you're doing what you're doing. Is it just to get that next goal, that next brass ring? And if that's the case, um, you've got to look deep. You know, it takes some reflection, but you've got to look deep and ask yourself, well, why am I doing that? And how can I right now start finding more fulfillment in my work? Wow. Uh, well, uh, guilty and guilty. Uh, so let me just state that right off the bat. Uh, I get that totally because early in my career, when it, uh, I was so driven uh, that the ambition to achieve every single thing I could achieve uh, overwhelmed me. I, I just, I couldn't figure out how to get out of that loop. Uh, and 
it was really uh, when I began to change a little internally that I began to understand what was happening to me and how I was causing it. So I love the fact you're saying take responsibility for ourselves. And I think a part of this, and you do address this, so let's talk about it a little bit. When we fall into these traps, one of the big things that you talk about is purpose. And I wonder sometimes if we connect individuals' purpose with, in other words, we start interviewing them and we're not connecting those potential employees to their purpose and the work that they're gonna be doing. We're, we're looking at them like a tool like, okay, you're, you're a hammer and I, I need a hammer right now in my organization and so I'm gonna put you in this job and you're gonna be a hammer without ever really understanding if that meets their purpose for life or work or whatever. Is that close to what you're talking about? It, it is. I mean, you know, I've had conversations more than once in my life with senior executives who are trying to motivate their employees with the stock price. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I've told oh, yeah. Them, Good luck with that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you know, nobody except you cares about the stock price, right? Your employees do not care whether it goes up 2% or down 3%. What they care about is what they're doing every day. What they care about are the relationships they have with their coworkers and their bosses. What they care about is whether they feel they can be authentically themselves at work and whether they feel like they belong there. And yeah, so you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I think we're going down the wrong path when we're trying to assume that people are there to serve us. Yeah, everybody's there to do a job, sure. They're not there to serve us or the organization only. They're there to fulfill their own life's purpose. Work is important to us, and most people really do start out loving it. But just like you said, you know, you get caught in these traps, Steve, and before you know it, and work, not only is work not fun, you're bringing, you know, all this misery home to whoever happens to be there, and, and that, that can be pretty unpleasant, too. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, without question, it will spill over, uh, and then you're, you're looking at having to replace that person anyway. Uh, I, I know, I, I really want to ask you this because I know that you're, uh, you're interacting with a lot of young people on a regular basis as well as executives. And I know you've heard the complaint both on both sides. Uh, exec, uh, senior executives will talk about, well, the, this millennial generation doesn't really uh, work as hard. They don't show up. Even those statistics don't back that up. They, they have that perception. And then the, uh, the younger people go in and like, hey, they just don't get me. They don't know. How can we kind of figure out uh, how we can really have conversations that will help us understand whether an employee is going to be happy at work or whether or not they're just somebody that's looking for a paycheck and they're going to be miserable? Yeah. Yeah, good points. Um, I, there is a lot, lack of understanding across some generations, but you know, when this question of millennials, you are absolutely right. Um, millennials are not as different as some of the popular press makes them out to be, and and the young people that I've been. Uh, coaching and mentoring and working with are wonderful people and they don't live up to those negative stereotypes. I think it's a bunch of hogwash to tell the truth. And uh, yeah, it is right. Um, So how can we get better at connecting across those kind of chasms or they feel like chasms, sometimes older executives, younger employees, 
you know, I think it starts with curiosity. Um, let's let's be a little bit more curious and a little less judgmental about each other. And by the way, that can go across any boundary, whether it's, you know, men and women or people from different parts of the country or people with different backgrounds. Uh, you know, let's be a little more curious and a little less judgmental. Find out what we can learn about each other. Try to read each other. What motivates that person? What do they care about? And the more we do that, the more trust we build and the more likely it is that we're going to be really able to understand how to motivate people if we are a manager or how to, you know, build a good relationship with our boss if we happen to be that employee. Great point. Uh, what would you say? I bet you've heard this. I'm just going to uh, do it. Uh, I, I'll, uh, I'll pretend for just a moment that I'm the exec that just heard that. Uh, yeah, that sounds good, Annie, but you know what? I'm, I'm just too darn busy to be curious. Yeah, I, I probably have heard people say that, and um, <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't have time ago. for that touchy feely uh-uh, stuff. I don't have time for those people. <laughs> right. I mean, aren't those people just supposed to do what I tell them? Yeah, well, if if, if you want to believe that, Mister Manager, um, <laughs> you're you're not going to get very far, and you're, it's actually going to be counterproductive. Is when people believe that they're being used. You know this, Steve. When when we feel that we're being used or we're being manipulated, boy, do we shut down. We don't only um, stop giving of our di- discretionary time and and effort. We don't even give what we're supposed to give, right? And on on the flip side of that, managers who show their employees that they really care about them, uh, about them personally as well as professionally, will walk through a wall for those managers. We we really will. And now there's, you know, decades of research about emotional intelligence, about being able to read your employees and motivate them through inspiring them, tying them to their own values as well as the organization's values. You know, all of that stuff has shown beyond a shadow of a doubt that the managers who don't forget that people are people first and workers second are the ones who get better results. Amen. And uh, we know this over and over. It's, I mean, for goodness sakes, it's, it's not a secret, but yet people don't understand it. Uh, and, and maybe that has to do with one aspect of your book that you talked about. Uh, and and I, I'd like for you to kind of tell, uh, I, I know it's quite a bit in the book, but I want you to just kind of uh, help us understand this. You talk about uh, optimism and that it's a, a component of, uh, of hope. Uh, tell us, what, what, is, what is this optimism thing that, I mean, it's part of emotional intelligence, but I think it's very important for people to connect with their their team members uh, to to connect with that optimistic side. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about that and and what can we gain from it? Yeah, optimism along with a compelling personal vision of the future and some plans to go with that, add that all up together and you've got hope. And, you know, we human beings need hope in no matter what we're doing. And and if, if any of our listeners have had a really bad experience, and we all have them in life, you know that what gets you up in the morning is hope. You put one foot in front of the other and you carry on. We need that at work too. And it's not just enough, it's not enough to just be tied to our organization's vision, although some of our organizations have a great, you know, vision and the future looks bright. We've got to see how we fit into that vision and how what we're doing today ties to our personal vision of the future. Mm -hmm. 
that, you know, that makes us feel excited and optimistic. And, you know, there's a lot of, of studies now coming out of neuroscience and other fields, psychology, that show the impact of optimism on our brain functioning and on our physical health. When optimistic people uh, get sick less often, they're not as, they don't suffer from mental illnesses as much, um, immune systems are stronger. I mean, it's really quite amazing. And likewise, um, optimism helps our brains work more quickly, take in more information, because we're not using up all that energy to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Hey, when you start talking about protect yourself, I honestly believe that this lack of optimism, the lack of hope, or the understanding to the individual, it creeps so silently into the workforce. And, and you wind up having people that are unhappy that truly didn't start out being unhappy, but they listen to these conversations and, and you can hear them. I know you've heard it as well as I have when you're working with people that uh, every problem is like it's the end of the world. They, there's no hope yep. that we're ever going to solve this for forever. Is that yep. fair? Oh, it's fair. And yeah, I've met them. Um, negative, cynical, pessimistic people are dangerous in our organizations. They bring us all down. And it's partly because emotions are literally contagious. And, you know, we our ears perk up when we hear negative stuff. It's probably an old survival instinct. We want to make sure that we stay safe, right? So these complainers and naysayers, they get a lot more attention than they deserve, and they can easily drag us down. And, you know, I think we really have to protect ourselves. It takes a little bit of courage and self-management to put up some boundaries and to basically say, nope, not letting that stuff in. That stuff's not going to help me, and it's not going to help us. I've got to be careful not to, you know, belittle people or shut them down because that's not going to help the relationships. It'll probably just make your neg- negative coworker even worse. But you don't have to hang out with them, and you don't have to join the chorus. Amen. And I, I hope that uh, all of us will learn that when we hear that negativism, it, it could be the best thing we can do as a leader is to have a one-on-one conversation with that person and say, uh, you know, I noticed that you were uh, feeling pessimistic. And, and see if they agree with you. Because if, if they were feeling pessimistic, then you got to get down to the core of that because their unhappiness is going to spread. It's like a virus, in my opinion. Yeah, I, mean, I would agree, Stephen. Particularly if you're a manager, job one is to understand the emotional reality of the individuals and the, and the teams that you lead, right? We need to understand where people are and then try our best to connect with them one-on-one, groups, teams, whatever, to, um, to help move that needle from negativity to a more positive outlook of the future. You're not going to win with everybody, but it's amazing the power of just sitting with somebody and listening to them, focusing your full attention on them for a few minutes, really trying to understand them. Again, back to that idea, you know, people feel cared for when their managers do that. And, and if you can do, do that, the word gets out, by the way. You know, it's like, Joe's a great boss. You know, he really listens to me. He really cares. Or Sally's a wonderful manager. You know, uh, I hope you get to work with her someday. The word gets out. And before you know it, you got a little bit more positivity in the entire environment just because you as a manager are learning to listen and care for people. Uh, I often, uh, I've told managers this over the years, and I love you saying that. Uh, where I've told them, if you want to know the best way to have a great team, 
be great to all of your team members that you have today. <laughs> I love it. I because, love it. I love it. I'm going to write that down. That's great. Yeah, yeah because uh, the simple fact is they will become the best salesman for you that you'll ever have. You can't sell yeah. yourself like they can sell you. And uh, so, I, uh, so I, I love the fact that you brought that up. Uh, your book is just filled with wonderful uh, things that we can do to incorporate uh, into our lives to make us happier at work. And I know our listeners are going to want to uh, connect with you and learn more about your great work. Uh, as I said in the interview, you've got, or in the intro, that you've got tons of books for us to learn from. Uh, so how would you like for people to connect with you? You know, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and all the usual. Um, one good way to find me is on my website, AnnieMcKee.com. I post a lot of, of you know, short articles, um, you know, little excerpts from the book, even some little quizzes and things. It's all free, and people are more than welcome to visit me at AnnieMcKee.com and you know, read a little bit or take a quiz or, you know, find out a little bit more about happiness at work or leadership. I got a lot of stuff on leadership up there because I, I write a lot about that, too. So, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to see people visit. That, that'd be awesome. And uh, for those of you that are exercising, as always, we're going to put a link directly to Annie's website for you to make it easy. And uh, although she's talking about the free stuff, you and I both know that whenever we're in business, uh, you got to invest a little bit. So at the very least, go buy our book because I promise you, you're going to learn an awful lot about not just how you can help your team members to be happy at work, but how you can be. So make sure you visit our website. Annie, before we go today, uh, what I'd like for you to do, because your book really is even entitled An Action Plan, and this is what I love about it. When, to me, action plans are, are things that you can start to do right away to make a difference. It's that how to be happy at work. So if you would, I'd like for you to tell us uh, the top two or three action items that we should take as leaders of people today to begin to either work to make ourselves happy at work or to help others uh, at on our teams to be happy at work? Great question. I, I'm going to give you two. Um, number one, find a friend at work. Build that relationship that is warm and fun. Have a laugh with somebody. I know it sounds simple, and I know it sounds like, you know, maybe too simple, but it's amazing what happens when we start treating our coworkers or the people who work for us as friends. I mean, that's probably one of the most important things that, that you can do. And the second thing, um, to really move yourself toward an optimistic, positive outlook, look around and ask yourself, what am I grateful for at my job? You will find things. And when we feel grateful, we tend to feel happier, we feel more fulfilled, and we start looking for other good things to experience, do, and, and be grateful for. Wow, those are two great, great tips. And every one of us uh, can do that right away. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Annie, for sharing that. Uh, today, our guest has been Dr. Annie McKee. Now, Annie is the author of How to Be Happy at Work. Make sure you go get a copy of this great book, put it in your library, and more importantly, put it to practice in, with your team right away. Annie, uh, congratulations on the great book, and we look forward to hearing more great successes from you. Uh, all the best in everything that you do. Thank you, Steve, and the same to you. 
Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you really learned a lot from uh, Dr. McKee. It was a great topic about how to be happy at work. And if you're struggling and you really need help, make sure you go to uh, my website, the training website, mojouniversity.com, and sign up so that you can really get real specific training and help that will help you succeed in your career. That's mojouniversity.com.